Hello everyone, I am Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends and sisters to do the same. This episode is part of a special series highlighting our sisters in small business. I grew up in a family who owned and operated a small business, and I partner with my husband to do the same. Every day brings a new adventure, and I am so excited to share this series featuring our sisters in small business as they share their inspiration, their challenges, their success, and their advice for anyone looking to start a side hustle or branch out on their own. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. Jesse Castile, I'm so excited to talk to you again. Me too! Yay! Okay, so... We will get to all things business. This is about our sisters in small business. But of course, first we have to start with your AOPI story. Right. Well, I, yeah, I think last time we talked, I talked about how I was a COB girl. So I, yeah, I was recruited. It was the 100th birthday of the University of Chicago, right? Um, it was, yeah, so this was 91. Uh, no, it was, so that would be spring of 92. Um, and I was a dancer and I was in the Centennial Musical and I knew who the AOPIs were and it was very competitive. And um, I hadn't gone through recruitment in the fall because it just wasn't anything anyone was doing. And, um, you know, I met one of the other, can we were can-can girls. And one of the other can-can girls was um, this really cool girl. And we got to be good friends. And she took me to some very, um, uh, very exciting and fun and probably not kosher by modern standards um, COB events that involve <laughs> things that we're not allowed to involve in our recruitment efforts anymore. And, um, yeah, and I just, you know, I had instant connections with these women that I'd seen on campus, very small, you know, it was, there were about 800 undergrads at the time. Um, so it was, you know, you, you knew who people were, um, and, um, had a great experience in college. Um, we were a very small chapter, but we were growing and, you know, it's really, it's, you know, in addition to everything else, like being, you know having um, all these great opportunities to volunteer over the years um, and meet all these different women from all over the place. Um, It's also provided me that extra connection to my alma mater, which has been more valuable than I would have imagined. And I think that's one thing I I explain to people who really don't get it. It's like, I have this connection to my college experience that, that other people don't because I have all these people that I'm, that, that um, tether me to that experience that we shared together. And I think there's a lot of value in that. I guess that's my AOPI story. Well, and but I yeah, love so, the fact yeah. that you were a COB. I went through a very traditional recruitment process. I'm first-generation right. Greek. And I, right. and I often wonder how many of our members, well, really potential new members, kind of get lost in that system. And then we have this amazing way to connect with our potential new members through COB where you have good conversations that are not rushed and in this crazy time frame where in between we're trying to rebuild decorations and sets right. and all of these things and and I feel like 
sometimes our chapters shy away from COB when in all reality, it's probably among the best connections that we make with our members. And I wonder if that has any bearing on how you have been so engaged or why you have been so engaged all these years. I totally believe that. I think that it is the way it was meant to be. Our, our founders and the first, you know, however many years of sorority in the United States, um, it wasn't about these ridiculously huge parties where, you know, in these systems and these, and these shoe boxes and these spreadsheets of the scores and the things that are completely, you know, that, that have very little connection to actual human experience, you know, and on the other side is, um, is the, are these built up expectations of, you know, these, these kids who've grown up in the, in the Pinterest era and they, you know, their expectations of their sorority experience are tied up in, you know, the visuals, you know, these very visual creatures that, you know, they're on the one hand, they're starved for connection, genuine connection. And on the other hand, they have this Pinterest idea of what the sorority experience is. And, you know, I I think sometimes that's where, you know, we have to really drive home. It's about the relationships. It's not about your picture. It's not about your t-shirt. It's about the experience that you have. And I really think, you know, COB, for me, you know, if it's done correctly, you don't even feel it happening. Um, I was always interested. I just wasn't organized enough to go through recruitment. And I don't know what would have happened if I had gone through formal recruitment. But I mean, that's why I became the COB evangelist is because my experience was so different. You know, I never had that. Your conversations with Abigail, she's so articulate. I so related to her. And I and I thought to myself, this is the gal that I would have been. And her first, you know, obviously a very self-possessed, very composed, very smart gal who obviously was raised by people who gave her that strong sense of self and her her experiencing for the first time having those connections and then having somebody reject her. If I had gone through that, I would be a completely different person than I am today. I have never experienced that. And I was, I mean, I, and I'm not a crier. I cried because I'm like, that sucks. It does. That sucks that it's part of that. That sucks. And I, it just makes me so sad. And I, I've always wanted it for my own daughter that she would have this, that thing that I have too. And I'd love to share it with her. But thinking about that, 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 that process is what it is. I want to fix that. I don't want that to be what it is. I don't want anyone to feel that. And, and it is part of life. I mean, obviously we go through these things, but, but the COB experience for me was all about, I was chosen. These were my friends. And, and first they were my friends and then they wanted to share this thing with me that they love so much. You know, that's, that's why I'm an AOPI. And so many of the volunteers I've met, I mean, yes, you probably half, um, you know, had the traditional going through recruitment, having that experience, but it's amazing when, um, you know, you've known somebody for a while who wasn't in your chapter, somebody who's you meet as an adult and, um, and, and you get to talk and it's like, well, you know, I went through COB, I'm not read. And oh my gosh, so did I. I've never been on the other side of recruitment. Maybe that's why we can be so bossy about it because we don't get it. <laughs> you know, we don't get it. We can be so bossy about, you know, you have to present yourself this way and you have to have this kind of conversation because I've never been on the other side of that. I've never experienced how hard it is to sit next to a stranger in this totally cooked up kind of orchestration where we're going to sit opposite each other and pretend that we're friends and have this totally cooked up experience that, ah, ah, anyway. I could not agree more. And I'm very curious moving forward what what this will do and how it will impact traditional formal recruitment because I think our women 
will expect something different. I think they will expect something that is much more in line with the conversations we've had this year over virtual recruitment than they will be worried about where the balloons are or where the piping is or what the table decorations look like because this is what these women experience and they will be the leaders. So much to learn. Yes. Yeah. And I love it because I love learning from them every year. It's, it's Me too. So much fun. Yes. 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 Because yes. I always think I've got this and then I realize how much I don't. <laughs> right. And I just have to tell you, I've had so many, you know, I'm taking time off from the volunteering thing right now for the most part, but I've been having these texts with, you know, some of my recruitment fellow veterans and, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not in charge of this stuff right now. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in charge of this? I can't imagine. I cannot imagine coaching people do this, but they're flourishing. They're doing it. They're pulling it off. And these chapters that have had so much trouble who hit quota plus this year, because they're so good at connecting one-on-one yes. under the right circumstances. 100%. And when you put them in the art, in the um, totally artificial, like, bring them into the house and smile this way and make sure that your hair is heat styled in this particular way and flip it this way. And you know, (laughs) these are the things you're going to talk about. And these are the scores. No, no. When they can sit down and have a conversation like this and nope, and now they're not thinking about the way their skirt doesn't fit them quite right. Those are the women you want as your sisters. hundred percent. Yes. 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 So let's talk a little bit about why you have taken a break from volunteering, because I think that you have been very busy. You are one of the most creative, talented women I know. I don't know if people understand that on the other side of West Byron Designs or West Byron Fiberworks Mm -hmm. is you in your personal studio, like creating all the beautiful things. So let's talk first about how you even decided to open a company. I didn't really decide is the thing. This is me. This is my confession. My big confession is that um, I've never been a planner. I've never had much of a life plan besides leaving my small town and going to college and being in a big city. That was my plan. And not at all beyond that. Not, not what I was going to study, not what I was going to try to accomplish in the world or who I was going to serve or what I was going to, you know, have the kind of money I was going to make. I was never that person. I did. I was raised by entrepreneurs and come from a long line of entrepreneurs, people who came to the United States to make a lot of money and be super successful. Like I have, I definitely have the gene, um, but I, I didn't leave home thinking that I wanted to have a company. I didn't like the idea of ever, because in my mind, I saw my parents, you know, my family has a vineyard in Oregon and, um, you know, they've had great success, but it, you know, to be on the other side of it, there were so many years that there was concerns about making payroll. And to me, that sounded like the most stressful thing in the world. And to have a company meant that you had employees that you were responsible for. And I, that sounded like commitment to me and I'm a commitment phobe and I didn't (laughs) like the sound of that. So that was something I always wanted to have somebody else responsible for my paycheck, you know, much, much less somebody else's paycheck. And I know you, you and your husband have a business also. So these are things, you know, you're, you're in a a space where, you know, people have to have dentists, right? You gotta have, you gotta have a dentist. Not everybody. I don't always go every six months. I confess, but (laughs) you and most of the population, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you don't have to have earrings, you know, you really don't, you you don't have to have, so, and you don't have to have wine either. Okay. So I'm going to disagree in the middle of COVID. (laughs) I think the two things you have to have are earrings and wine. No one sees anything else. That's what I live on to survive. I think. 
Exactly. Right. Exactly. So anyway, so, so I graduated from University of Chicago. I took my time graduating. I did not have a plan. I sabotaged myself at every turn and I am using you as my therapist right now. And I, that is not at all what I meant to do. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I and I always had great job. Like I just one job led to the next, and you know, University of Chicago. Living in Chicago had lots of great connections. I worked in technology. I um, I worked in enterprise software. I did web development, and then I got pregnant. You know, I did not have the plans. So and you know, everything tends to fall into place. And I had a great partner, and I had money in the bank, and I had two um, bedrooms in my place, and it was great. Um, but I knew that I wanted if if I was going to have kids I wanted to be home with my kids that was important to me because my parents were home because the business was at home it was right outside the door so everybody was home all the time I didn't have a parent who got up and put on a suit and went to the office every day so when I thought about what I was going to do with my life it was never um you know raise a family and and you know have one parent that goes off and does one thing or both parents leave and yeah you know what I'm saying so for a while I actually was doing marketing after my son was born and I you know I left the American Bar Association Association before that and I did, did some traveling for the vineyard and I did some wine dinners and did some website stuff um, four years later when my daughter was born my sister was pregnant at the same time and I'd always been sort of a crafty person. I knitted and I made jewelry and, you know, but, you know, just never thought about it as something that I would do to try to make a living. But it was around the time, this was in 2012, when um, those little necklaces with the kids' names on them were becoming very popular. So that, you know, everybody seemed to have one, including my, one day I saw one on my obstetrician and I was like, oh, that's really cute. She was an older gal. And she's like, yes, you know, it was you know, the gift to myself because I didn't think I'd ever be able to have kids, but I finally found the right guy and I had these kids really quick and here's my necklace with their names on them. And I like to think about them all the time. I'm like, that's so sweet. I'm going to, I'm going to find that for my sister because she was pregnant at the same time. I'm going to go out and find one for my sister, my biological sister. And I looked and I looked and I didn't find what I, what I quite, what I had in mind. And so I started looking on, you know, the, the internet and, and here and there. And, um, found this medium called precious metal clay. Like I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to use a hammer to hand stamp things. I don't like hammers. I don't like loud noises. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like things that jar my joints and I don't like loud noises. And um, precious metal clay um, is like, um, it's like modeling clay that you um, can sculpt and you can uh, stamp with things and you cut it up and you squish it back up and you you um, use it as many times as you like and then when you're ready you put it in the um, kiln and you fire it and it comes out a solid piece of sterling silver in this case that's what I use the sterling silver and I thought this is really great and so I you know I made a really beautiful necklace for my sister made one for myself started making them for the grandmothers making them for friends and then the friends the friends friends would say hey I'm a friend of so-and-so and you made her that beautiful necklace can I pay you to make me one of these. And I was like, um, and I don't like asking people to pay me for things. Um, and so I'd say, Oh, I'll just make you one. And, uh, you know, I, I was doing that for a while until somebody said, you know, Jesse, you need to make people pay for things. You can't <laughs> yes, you do. time doing this and it's not cheap. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I, so before I knew it, I was in business and I, I, listed a couple things on Etsy and they sold immediately. And I was like, oh. you know, it's just like anything that just sort of starts to happen. I never, occurred to me that I'd be able to make enough to call it a business. Um, I didn't actually officially like 
become a business and get a business license until several years later, which is not good. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's um, so right. you first listed items on Etsy in what year? It was 2008 was okay. when my daughter was born and I, I started my Etsy shop. She was born right before Christmas and I started and I opened that Etsy shop. I you know made the necklaces for the friends. The friends said, hey, make this for me. I'd started t- accepting money for them. And then, you know, I knew about Etsy, but I went on and I saw, oh, you know, I can make something so much better than that. Here's this. That was 2008, spring of 2008. So 2008, and then you actually grew into what you are calling like your real business, like I'm going to get a business license and do all of this. How many years later? This is embarrassing because it's not particularly legal. Oh, well, we'll <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's okay. I'm not going to get in trouble. Nobody oh, okay. cares. Um, was yeah, like, no, oh. it's okay. Um, it was, it was about, it was right before. Okay. So the next, the next big life event was my first breast cancer, which was 2012. And it was right before that, that I did my first craft show. I didn't have any interest in doing craft shows, but I did one because it was a friend and, um, yeah, 2012. So it was about four years that I was in business. And the thing is, you don't have to call it a business until you're making a certain amount of money. So, um, and so I, but I was definitely time... making that much at that point. <laughs> I just wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't keeping books. I wasn't keeping track. It was just money into my personal account, Sure. Um, which is also not right. So children at home listening, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Once you start making a certain amount of money, you need to have your own bank account for your business. <laughs> it has to have yes, its own account. <laughs> so, so, well, which goes back to your, your love of all things not planned is that it really yeah. did kind of grow organically, but but four years is a long time. And I think people assume that like one day you woke up and you were like, I can do this and I'm gonna put it on Etsy and I'm gonna make all this money and be able to pay my bills. When in all reality, I can only imagine how many starts and stops it took along the way. And yet here you are with this business that now is crazy successful. You have, this Etsy shop, you are now listed on um, Crate Joy. So this is now, I can only imagine, I mean, a full-time job for you. This is not something you sit down for an hour in the evenings as you're watching television and put together a pearl bracelet and then your box is ready. Right. Yes. You would think that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? It has been, I've had periods where I have been busier than I could have imagined. And I've had periods where I, things have, I, but I've been very lucky, the way I've been very lucky, and this sort of took off without a lot of deliberation on my part. I figured it would just be my hobby that I could make a little extra money. I never thought of it as something that would be, you know, my, part of it was that I was self-conscious about it. Like I, I was self-conscious and I still, part of me is still self-conscious about the fact that when somebody asks me what I do, I'm like, well, I, I make earrings, you know? You know what I mean? Like, especially when I see my old classmates and they're, you know, running the trade desk in Singapore for some whatever. And it's like, well, I, I, you know, I'm totally unselfconscious about I made a choice to be a a mom. You know, that was going to be I don't have a lot of bandwidth. I can focus on one thing at a time. I could do the mom thing. And then when somebody's taking a nap, I can make a necklace for somebody else. Like, um, but I there have been times like right in the beginning when the economy was still you know, in pretty good shape in 2008, right before things went south, um, where I became busier than I'd planned on being. And I had a really hard time keeping up. 
And, um, and then there have been other times like, okay, so here's a little story. If I can tell you a story, um, when I back in 2012, like I'd had, I had some good success. I had a nice steady volume of business. It wasn't so overwhelming that I would get really far behind, but I would get behind at times. Um, I went and I got my biopsy on my tumor, um, not knowing yet what was going on. And at the very same time, I started getting messages from my customers, like wonderful customers saying, Jesse, I don't know if you've seen this, but I wanted to make sure that you had. And a lot of my original designs, and by a lot, I mean like all of them, my original designs, like my sculpted pieces, had been copied by somebody in China oh. um, and mass produced as stampings. Yeah, not castings, but stampings, really cheap, ugly findings. And they were everywhere. They were everywhere. They were being sold as parts of finished jewelry by people that were technically my competitors at people who had no idea. Etsy used to have what's called a front page. Like when you would log onto Etsy, you would see, everyone would see the same front page and it would be like a curated selection. And it was sort of the, um, the holy grail of Etsy where you start to really get sales was when you're featured on the front page. And I'd been featured on the front page a few times and those items were found and were ripped off and were, I, and I was devastated and I'm like, well, there has to be something I can do, but no, I mean, I learned very quickly. And it was at the same time that I realized I was going to go through breast cancer treatment. I, and there was no guarantee that that was going to work out in my favor. Um, and I just sort of had to choose what I was going to spend my energy on. And so that totally changed like the focus of my business. I realized that, you know, I, I wanted to make things that could be ripped off as easily but I really sort of slowed down after that. Like I was full steam ahead. I was wanting to be featured in these books that were being made. I was, you know, there were all these things that I was really excited to do. Like I was starting to really be able to tell people that I was an artist, which is something I couldn't do before. And that just really took the wind out of my sails um, when that happened. But then I was a breast cancer patient and that was just sort of became the bigger part of my identity for a long time. And then I slowly started building it back up and I felt better and I, realized that I could also sell my hand knits and I could write patterns and I never, and right at the point where I was going to really start um, trying to sell my intellectual property, um, how to do things, then I had my second breast cancer diagnosis. But what's yeah. great is that I've always, through all of this, I've always had that steady stream of business and these return customers who have allowed me to, I mean, not pay all my bills necessarily, but to, um, to keep us afloat and to keep me from having to sort of throw in the towel on that and go back to work for someone else full time. So it's interesting because I normally ask during these conversations, you know, what what have been among the biggest challenges? I think that 100%, like what you've just shared is that. I yeah. have an interesting question for you though, because you say you make earrings. And mm -hmm. I think you are this creative mind that brings beauty into the world. I think you are so much more than someone who, quote, makes earrings. And you just mentioned that you felt like you could once consider yourself an artist. I think you have always been an artist. I um, wonder if you consider yourself that now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Okay, so I have two sides to myself. I have the side that, that is always looking to make something completely new and different. And then I also have the busy hands ADD side of me 
that just wants to, you know, I'm sitting here like literally like, I just want to weave these little things together or just knit the same stitch over and over and over because my hands have to always be moving. This has always been the case. Um, so there are days that I'm an artist. I always have, I, I see things like an artist. I see things and appreciate their form and read words and appreciate the way they sound in my ears. Um, but there are days that I am a creator and other days that I'm a, I'm a factory worker of one, you know, a, a factory of one kind of thing. Um, but I think that's okay. But it does seem that as women, we have a really hard time accepting the great things about us that make us the artists and the creators and the innovators that we are. Yes. When I look at you and see you, I think this woman is brilliant. I don't care where you're making your jewelry or what desk you're running where. It is just, <laughs> you bring such beautiful things into the world and they make other people happy. I hope they make you equally as happy. Tell me something you love about it. Oh, I love everything about it. I love every part of the, of the process. Like it's never occurred to me that I wouldn't do, um, that I wouldn't continue to do this, you know, it, one way or even on bad days when I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to find another job. <laughs> I, I would always come home and do this anyway, because this makes me so happy. And there's, and I, it wasn't something that I knew about myself, but I love working by myself. I love being by myself and I love having things in my hand. Um, touching them and like, you know, looking at the pretty colors and whatever, like, um, uh, everything about it. I love making the pieces. I love thinking about the people they're for. I love packing them up. I like sending them in the mail and imagining the day when they arrive, <laughs> like everything about that makes me happy. Yesterday I was making a piece for somebody. Um, sometimes I'll get personalizations that are in a different language and I'll look it up. You know, and I, I, and I was busy and I was in a hurry and I didn't look it up until after I put it in the mail and I can't even pronounce it, but it was like in Gaelic and it was like my precious daughter. And I was like, oh, I have this whole narrative in my head of like, it could, God only knows what it, what the actual situation was, but it had this whole narrative different, of course, when you know the people, but oftentimes I don't. And sometimes it's going somewhere to a different country where I don't know anything about the person, but I love having that sort of all those stories in my mind of whether they ever, you know, sometimes I'll go back and I'll like have this, this notion in my head and then I'll go creep them on social media to find out if I'm right. You know, <laughs> is this actually a new mom or a grandmother or a, an estranged brother who, who finds out about the new niece and sends the necklace to the sister and the, the reconnected and, and I allowed that to happen. Like I'm always the star, of course, I'm always the star of the story. Of so. course, as you should be. Thank so you. tell me this, for anyone who is interested and think they might want to start their own business, whether that is in jewelry or fabric or something else, we've talked a lot about jewelry, but you actually, in one of my boxes, there was this wristlet that has become one of my very favorite things. It was made out of wine corks, I think, um, yeah. or some kind of cork. Yeah, and, the bark from the cork tree. Yeah, okay, the bark. Okay, so obviously my mind naturally went to wine. So the bark <laughs> from the cork tree. And what I love about it is that particularly when I travel, because, you know, I try not to check luggage, so I have my one carry-on in my handbag, but nowadays I have to have, you know, all the things in that bag. And then I don't want to carry a 20 pound shoulder bag for the rest of the weekend. So I take this pouch and I put all the necessary things. It's perfect to fit my phone and a lip gloss, 
a hand sanitizer these days and a mask. And then I zip it right up and I have it. It has become like my favorite go-to thing. So we've talked a lot about jewelry, but you do some amazing work with apparently not wine, cork things, and also like fabrics and, and yarns and knits. For anyone that may listen to this and think, I have this talent and I think I could add something to people's lives and to make space in the market for me, what advice would you offer them? Yes. Okay. Do it. Yes. Do it. Life is very short. Do the thing that makes you happy. Um, this is going to sound contradictory to what I said earlier about like, don't get in over your head and not, um, you know, buy a business license and a bunch of inventory and things. But I, I do believe, and I've seen people make this mistake, um, and get very discouraged and feel really bad about themselves. Don't feel like you have to do all the business things first. Don't think about what, I mean, I, I, what I would suggest is if you're interested in a handmade business, just make a bunch of things, make a bunch of things, take the things you've made and put them out there and say, Hey, I make all these things, you know, and just, just put it out there and, and wait for your friends to say, wow, that's great. That's amazing. Would you make one of these for my, you know, Christmas is coming up. This is the best time of year. This is the best time of year for, for people who make can make things. I would love to, to take that wreath, that beautiful wreath that you made and give it to my mother-in-law for Thanksgiving, you know, and then her friends reach out and say, that beautiful wreath you made for your mother-in-law, make me one of those. Because I think what a lot of people do is they, they feel like they have to have so much to start with and you really don't. What you should do, because you never know what's going to take off. You never know what's going to appeal to people. You know, you know what you like and you know what you like to make. But if you're if what you want to do is make things for other people, um, just make things and put them out there. Let people see the things that you make. And, and with social media, it's so much easier now. You don't have to buy a table at a craft show and wait for strangers to come and validate what you've made. You can you can say, hey, guys, look at this cool thing I've been working on and see what people say. Oh, well, actually, I would love something like that. But in gray, everybody wants something that's gray. Why? I don't know. People love gray, Crystal. <laughs> they love gray and they want everything to be gray. So so what? You go home and you make something that's gray and somebody pays you $60 for it and, and their friend loves it. And then they so I think just making things and whether it's making things or writing things, just do the thing and, and share it with people and see what they say and go from there. I love it. I mean, there's a million resources out there for starting a small business. I think what people don't do is start with the piece that they want to do, you know, which is the actual making of the thing or the, you know, or the, the building of the community or the writing of the manifesto or whatever. Do that, do that piece first and go from there. So I love this. We are recording this in October, but it will yes. be released in a few weeks yet. But that means we are moving into holiday season. And I'm always curious about how people decide like what is going to be popular this year. And to your point, you never know, right? Like you just have to kind of see what takes off. Right. And I feel that everyone's in this very sort of Taylor Swift folklore space, very soft and pretty and things that are and of course disclaimer I love Taylor Swift I listen to folklore on repeat I remember yeah. none of the words exactly. and and yet I feel like this fall when I am picking out gifts for people in my life that I'm in that very like 
I want to show you warmth and love and have this kind of soft vibe space. So maybe very gray, interestingly enough. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, calm. Yes. Like, is there anything that you're sort of preparing for as we go into holiday this year? Because surely you'll put things on the side. Like, can you give us a preview into your artistic process? Or is it too early yet? You never know where things are going to lead. And I, you know, recently have gotten into, I never used like glass pearls before, you know, and suddenly I'm like, well, you can do all kinds of fun things with glass pearls because they have these nice, um, totally uniform shape and big holes. And so I've been, I've been making more what I guess what I would call like statement necklaces, things that I never would have done before. Um, because that's sort of where a certain particular part of my audience is. And once I start working with something, I, I have to completely, um, work through every possible iteration I can think of. Um, so that's, that's what I've been sort of doing. I've been working on big holiday pieces, which isn't exactly what, but I, I'm, I am trying to get back into the knitting. Um, this is the longest I've gone without knitting because I'm usually a very compulsive knitter, but for whatever reason, COVID had this, um, had the opposite effect on me as it did everyone else. Everyone went into the DIY space and I, I did not. So, um, <laughs> I also did not. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started knitting again. I'm going to try and do a big pile of knits. I'm also going to try to release some, um, because one of the trends and I do follow the trends as um, people who buy handmade, um, is the DIY. Like, I'm, I'm, I am finally trying to work on some tutorials and some kits. Um, and I, I do have a few patterns that I've, that I've written up over the years that I just never got around to um, getting out there. But that's sort of the direction things have to go. Eventually I'll have arthritis and I won't be able to knit anymore. <laughs> or, you know, um, if you're ever really going to um, make real money in this space, like the kind of money that allows you to retire, you need to monetize your um your knowledge yeah so the trends for this holiday season are you know diy home things i i just got a bunch of new cork fabric that i'm so excited about and so i'm going to make a bunch of purses and wristlets and big tote bags and i have a bunch of gemstone jewelry that i'm working on i love the birthstones for this time of year so I've got a bunch of that stuff ready to um, set into settings and hang on earrings and stuff. That's I what I'm working this. on. How do people find you to be able to buy all of the things for holiday? Yay. Okay. So I actually have a domain now. So oh. um, you can go to westbyronstudio.com. And at this very moment that we're speaking, it will still take you to um, West Byron on Etsy. But very soon I'm going to be launching my actual website, which will be sort of the center where you can get your juju box and you can order your jewelry and your hand dyed yarn and your knits and your bags and your wallets and everything um, from one space because I'm sort of all over right now and it's so complicated and I get very lost every day trying to find where these orders are listed and these addresses so I need to I'm working on getting organized it's so hard for me I need this a wife so or exciting. business partner or something when will this site go live well you asking me that is going to force me to say that um, <laughs> I don't know hopefully before Thanksgiving that's my goal Very good. Um, so it's not really going to help me out a whole lot for this Christmas season but um, but it has to happen soon I love this for you Jesse thank you, thank you so much I can't wait to see what comes next. Have a wonderful so season. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.